Hello and welcome once again to episode 122 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So we have a lot to catch up on, mostly because I was sick and I prevented us from having any semblance of a regular recording schedule these past two weeks. Uh, So if I suddenly... Uh, mute out it's because i'm coughing hysterically uh but uh in in those two weeks like everything got announced um so like we have a lot to talk about uh the most interesting being that the swift programming language book is now available as a doxy compiled documentation thing which is pretty awesome i think oh yeah that's doxy i i'm so happy that doxy is like um being adopted and like even apple themselves and kind of the whole swift community seems to be very supportive of it and i hope it kind of just continues that way because there's like it's awesome there's like no downside to it in my opinion so it's great great to see Mm -hmm. and i think the the swift programming language book itself has been open source for quite a while uh but now that Mm -hmm. it's in doxy it's very easy to contribute to um, and you can use it as like a learning platform to learn how to write narrative-driven documentation for your own projects. Um, probably open-source projects more than uh, closed-source ones because you always have someone in-house to explain stuff. Uh, but for everyone else, it's it's very nice to have uh, something that can go in, in depth to explain topics. Um, and it can be a great repository for uh, learnings as a company um, or like after action reports if something went weird and you need to like document the process for next time um or how to uh redo the fast lane thing because everyone forgets how to do the fast lane thing uh on a yearly <laughs> yep. basis um it's it's saving us from the thing that we would have forgotten how to do on a yearly basis by giving us another thing to remember how to do on a yearly basis so um i think yep. <laughs> it washes itself out in that regard uh but yeah doxy is great for all of those kinds of things. And this is kind of a great showcase of it at scale, right? Because there's nothing, no, there's no documentation that's going to be smaller than an entire book, um, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, so this, this kind of showcases it at its best. Um, and they've improved it in that process, um, to be better for that. So, uh, definitely go check it out. Um, uh, we have a link in our show notes. Yeah. I, it just like, we use Notion at work and, I have like kind of a love hate relationship with Notion. I think it's fine in some regards, but in others, I think it can be really easy to sort of lose structure and hard, can be hard to find things and stuff. So, oh, nice search to, like, is not good in Notion. I would have never known. No. <laughs> I know, crazy. This is the first time you've ever heard of that. Um, I don't think search exists but... in Doxy, but at least it's indexable by Google. <laughs> no i yeah no i know but like as far as like i mean we have everything on there not just like developer documentation Mm -hmm. but just like company stuff but getting specifically like developer docs on there would be really cool um i might try to push for that i don't know how successful it would be we're kind of pretty hardly tightly integrated with notion unfortunately so yeah well you get you get git history with it and that's always useful um especially when documentation changes over time and uh, the old the old uh, description might have made more sense. Um, so that's that's one one push in the favor of uh, not it being in Notion. Yeah, nice. That's a good idea. 
Um, another thing that got kind of announced, and we were kind of discussing this loosely up until now, uh, is Swift 5.8. Um, and this is now bundled as a part of the Xcode 14.3 preview um, or beta build. Um, and we'll give a preview of that in a bit. Um, but there's a whole bunch of new additions to Swift 5.8 that we figured uh, we might uh, be able to go through. And the first of which is with the scarting task group, which I think we discussed like a week or two ago. Um, or th- yeah. three, uh, depending on uh, how many episodes happen per week. Uh, but yeah, that one is totally in there. Uh, so you can start playing with it. Uh, though, as we said, it's there for a very specific purpose of being useful in like Swift Neo. So, uh, you yeah. might not find like an immediate use for it, but if there is something that comes up, uh, then it is a tool at your disposal. Yeah. We've also got app back deployed, uh, which I actually, I can't remember if we talked about, I would assume it's easier if well for back deploying things i can't think of an example of like well uh the the first thing that comes to my head is like back deploying async away i think happened um maybe in vapor maybe not i can't remember um is that basically what you're doing is you're just marking it for a specific um version to back deploy to yeah, so this is one of those weird ones that i don't think went through the the swift evolution process i actually did uh, Swift Evolution 0376. Um, but its main like user is going to be Apple. Uh, and that's because oh. everyone else can just ship a, a binary, um, of, of the framework that's, that needs to be used and that just gets bundled and no one else is relying on like an OS to provide like functionality. Um, and that's where back deploy comes in. It allows Apple to go ahead and mark, uh, certain functions uh, that were introduced in, say, macOS 14. Um, but they don't need macOS 14 to exist. Like, they could totally sure. exist on macOS 12, and they're just, like, purely additive. Uh, and what Backdeploy does is it will go ahead and configure your app uh, to basically include the code for that function um, inside of your app. Uh, but if you're running on macOS 14 or later it will go ahead and use the framework's implementation um, mm. of it. But if you're if you're on a version of the OS that, where that doesn't exist, then it will go ahead and use the version that you just compiled with. Um, and that allows you to back-deploy, or not not you back-deploy, but it allows you to use back-deployed functions um, in your sure. apps without like upping the minimum that your app needs to, to uh, like reasonably work. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's something that works together with the add available checks. Um, right. And again, it's not something that you as a developer will probably ever need to write. Um, but if you spot it in um, in the Swift headers or the interface files, uh, then you can go ahead and know that, hey, uh, this is a new function, but it's available even on older OSs because it's been marked as such. Um, and that means that the the whole functionality is kind of uh, not not like super close source that Apple doesn't want that that functionality just like leaking out of the framework um, and allows mm-hmm. others to kind of just bundle it. So that might mean that new views in SwiftUI, for instance, those might become available to old apps just by by uh, Apple annotating their their classes appropriately or their types, gotcha. I should say. Cool. Nice. 
Um, another thing that's just like a, I don't think had a Swift Evolution thing at all, um, is you can use collection downcasts in case patterns. So if you have like a switch, uh, where you have an array and that's an array of anything, uh, you can have case let ints as an array of int or case Mm -hmm. is an array of bool. Um, that said, I would never suggest anyone use this. This is a very like, uh, computationally expensive way of figuring out what things are so if you can avoid an array of any to begin with then you're probably better off oh sure um and just have two different functions that this one takes an array of int and this one takes an array of bool um and that means that the compiler will be able to choose which function to use at compile time uh based on like what the source is um and you're gonna be much better off with that but if you ever need to do it dynamically uh, this is an expensive way of giving you a nice syntax sugar uh, to be able to do that. So that way you don't need to um, like set it up in several if lets. You can use case uh-huh. matching in a switch to kind of get a whole bunch of different scenarios very quickly uh, and succinctly. Gotcha. Cool. Um, we've also got unsafe API improvements. So there's like uh, unsafe mutable raw pointer, unsafe mutable buffer pointer, uh, unsafe mutable raw buffer pointer it's a whole um, bunch of those <laughs> yeah just like it says it added uh previously missing initialization and deinitialization methods uh, including more performant initialization from collection types um there's a couple other things i don't really use like any of the unsafe apis so this means like nothing to me i don't really know the benefit of it per se but cool yeah they're they're more collection like um, so like if you have a slice of one, it behaves more like a collection where you can use it in other places more readily. Um, and that's, that's basically it. Uh, it's just making it a little nicer to use and a little less antagonistic, um, because they're kind of, they're kind of hard to use and for good reason. Like we're trying to steer people away from using unsafe APIs, uh, in Swift, even yeah. though they exist. Um, so if you do need to use them, uh, then they're a lot, a whole lot nicer to use as a result of these improvements. If you don't need to use them, then you can kind of like skip over that <laughs> because it's, it's, it, it, it's meaningfully complex, um, on purpose, basically. Right. Yeah. This next one is interesting though, uh, and that is that you can use implicit self, uh, whenever you, uh, capture self in a closure. So for instance, um, we've all seen the pattern where you have like a weak, you have a closure um, and you want to use self in it. And then the compiler is like, hey, you're going to capture self as a result of this. So then you're like, okay, let me mark right. it as weak self. Um, and then let me go ahead and put self question mark dot uh, do the thing um, yeah. everywhere inside of that closure. And if you have a whole bunch of things that you're accessing, you have a whole bunch of self dots or self question mark dots. Um, well, now uh, you can go ahead and omit the self dot part. Um, because it understands that you've kind of marked self as being captured, uh, and therefore you don't need to explicitly spell out that you're using self anymore, um, and the compiler will just move on um, because it gets the hint. Um, there are two like subdirections that this can go in. Um, you can either just uh, weekly capture self, um, and what this does is it makes it a self exclamation mark dot. Um, under the hood, um, or you can guard let self equal self else return kind of pattern, um, and that right. means that self will be will will be unwrapped everywhere. 
Um, so the unwrapped version, that one is kind of good to stay um, up until Swift 6, uh, up until in, and including Swift 6. But for Swift, uh, for the other uh, version of this where you have weak self and then you're not guarding it, um, so you're using self exclamation mark dot, that functionality is currently valid, but it won't be valid uh, in Swift 6. It will be a compiler error. Nice. Um, and that That's is kind cool. of forcing you to either uh, mark it unowned or to go ahead and have a guard let self equal self uh, or guard let self else now um, that you can kind of skip the equal self part right. um, to kind of explicitly s- state that you want it to be unwrapped and you don't want that functionality where uh, you just have like dangling optionals uh, to deal with. So um, I'm not sure what I think about this. This feels like it's one of those iffy decisions that make things better, sure, but also hide like the complexity that's happening under the hood. Um, and maybe that will kind of clean itself up in Swift 6, uh, but I'm not too sure. Yeah. I I kind of lean on the, on the side of I like it a little bit more just because um, it feels... I guess there's, there's sort of... It, it feels more like... Assuming you weren't in a closure, you could just have implicit self anyway. And so this kind of brings it back to like, if you're in a closure, you're still in the same class. So it sort of makes sense. If generally, when you're referring to self, that just means the class or what you know, whatever type you're in. So you're not referring to that closure. So it just, I don't know, kind of brings it, I guess, full circle to me. Mm-hmm. I kind of like it. And I'm also happy that the um, the implicitly unwrapped self is like going to be an error in Swift 6. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and, or is and it an error or a warning? It, it would be an oh, error. Oh, will no longer compile. Cool, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's because it's self-exclamation mark. Uh, and if you want self-question mark, you have to actually spell it out. I guess the only right. thing that I'm worrying about is if you write weak self, then you might forget to go ahead and like put the guard let in there uh, because everything will now compile. Um, and therefore like, you're not going to notice as quickly, uh, that there's a problem. Um, but as, as mentioned, that will clean itself up in Swift six. So we just need to wait for Swift six to get here. Um, and we're at 5.8. So what's left? 5.9 and then six, right? It's definitely not going to go 5.10, 5.11, 5.12. Yeah. They definitely haven't had a track record of doing that. Mac OS 10. (laughs) Mac OS 10, 10 dot 10. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. 10. I think there was a 10.10.10, maybe. I don't know. Um, but along <laughs> along the lines of uh, improvements coming to Swift 6, uh, there is a cool feature that came, uh, and that is that you can pass a compiler flag called enable upcoming feature and then specify the feature. Um, and that will allow you to get the Swift 6 functionality for a lot of new things early without waiting for Swift 6 to come out. Um, and that means that you can pre-flight your code and make sure it will compile on both Swift 5 and Swift 6 um, and or opt in early to the features that you know are coming. So there are a mm-hmm. few of these. Uh, there's Concise Magic File. Uh, and this one's actually great because it means that you can finally use Fatal Error again. Uh, the reason why you might not want to have used Fatal Error is because it uses the, um, the pound file... Um, I don't know what those are called, literals. Um, and the pound Probably. file literal uh, is the full path of your file on your uh, OS. 
Uh, and that includes <laughs> yeah, your right. username and includes the, your, all your yeah. subdirectories. And it is not great to ship in a, in a, in an application. Um, so that, that gets fixed if you use the concise magic file feature. Um, it will go ahead and change that to just be like rooted to your module. Um, so it's a much smaller file. It saves a bunch of space, does not leak your company nice. secrets in the process. Um, so A plus to that, uh, you can finally use, uh, fatal error. Uh, once again, um, the next one that's interesting is forward trailing closures. Um, and we currently have backward trailing closure scanning, um, in Swift. So for instance, if you have, uh, animate with duration and then you have the animation block and then you have the completion block, if you specify both of them, excellent. If you specify just one, um, by default, it will default to the last closure that it saw, even if they're both optional. Um, now this doesn't actually happen, you might notice, uh, because, uh, animate with duration comes from Objective-C and there are actually two versions. There's animate with duration animation block, animate with duration animation block and completion Completion. closure. And because there are two method signatures, that's why it chooses the one where there's only one. Um, because none of the arguments are optional for either of those. Uh, now that's just a side effect of it coming from Objective-C. If we were writing this as a Swift API, we would never have done that. We would have said, hey, uh, this one is an optional closure. This one is not an optional right. closure. Um, and we'll just, we'll just scan through as, as, um, as you would think to do it. So you would be able to write animation with duration and then close the, close the parentheses, open the curly brace, and then there's your closure for the animation block, not the completion. Um, but we don't have that in Swift currently because it would break everything. Um, so in Swift six, that's when they're making the change to finally add that. Um, and you can get that early by using the enable upcoming feature forward trailing closures to get that. Uh, the final one is bear slash regex literals. Uh, basically you can use the forward slash regex literals in code. Um, and yeah, nothing bad can happen from that. Um, Except currently you're using bad regular expressions. Yeah, oh yeah, don't use regular expressions. That's the bad thing. Uh, <laughs> but currently, if you try to do that, there's all sorts of chaos that can happen. Uh, this kind of makes it a language feature, so other things are more strict. Um, namely, uh, you have to like uh, you can't use two slashes in all sorts of different situations because they're now reserved for that. Um, and yeah, there's a whole uh, proposal that kind of explains all the shortcomings of that uh, kind of thing. And that's why it's been feature flagged as a, uh, as a upcoming feature. Uh, but if you want to use regex literals, uh, you totally can. And then the compiler will kind of help you out in that process by like telling you, Hey, this is malformatted. Um, you need to improve it. Um, if you do choose to use any of these, you can use a, a pound if directive, um, if has feature. And then in parentheses, you can specify the feature that you want. Um, and that will allow you to go ahead and have code that will compile for both uh, the nice. new stuff and the old stuff. Um, because you can go ahead and conditionally uh, choose uh, one to have one or the other. I think another another one of those is you can now use the if or the, the pound um, if available uh, checks uh, to go ahead and add property wrappers. Uh, to things like that wasn't possible before um, and now can just wrap the property uh, wrapper uh, before a type uh, for instance so that's that's really neat as well 
Um, so yeah, lots of lots of improvements to Swift 5.8. Um, and this is surely not the last version of Swift 5 that we'll see, um, but it's one of uh, the last ones as we finally start to approach Swift 6. Yeah. So I, I assume this isn't the case, but you wouldn't be able to like enable the flag and then ship something like oh totally something on the app store with this oh you could yeah oh cool okay um yeah it wouldn't work in previous versions of swift um like this is now being introduced as a part of the swift compiler um but you could totally do go ahead and do that um i believe these um feature flags are of finished features they're not um they're not uh incomplete ones if that makes sense. Okay. So you couldn't do this for any, everything, but like any of these um, upcoming features you would be able to use. Yes, I, w- I would that say that. I might I might be mistaken and I'll follow up if I am. Um, but there's a separate setup uh, for incomplete features that are kind of flagged between behind stuff. Like, for instance, macros. Those are not complete. Um, but you sure. can go ahead and play with around with them now. And there are, are compiler flags to enable them. Uh, but they don't. They haven't kind of elevated to this uh, level of uh, this would be breaking to the source language, and therefore we're making them available piecemeal, so that way you don't have to jump all in cold turkey into Swift six. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. That's fun to yeah. know. So along with Swift uh, five point eight, uh, we have Xcode fourteen point three. Uh, and in Xcode 14.3, we have even more fun things. Uh, namely, there's a new module verifier. That sounds fun. Uh, it verifies modules. Ooh. I'm, I'm sure it probably helps a ton means. if, if like, I'm sure. you have a, a whole bunch of different packages and they're not playing nice together. Uh, that will go ahead and tell you what's wrong. Um, so joking aside, this is probably super useful. In fact, the new build system has that. Uh, kind of graphical overview of like where things are getting stuck during compilations and that can mm-hmm. allow you to like make decisions as far as okay maybe i should modularize this piece of code or um sure. this this like segment of my app um only deals with the data model let me make a module of the data model and then that does not need to be something that holds everything else back um and that view can help you make that decision um, so I'm sure this adds a bunch more, uh, to that. So that way you can go ahead and, uh, make those decisions a little more, uh, carefully rather than not really knowing what you're doing. Um, I think this is one of the biggest features that I'm stoked for. Uh, you can now print in Swift UI previews, which is huge because it's so annoying having to, you know, when you're, when you're in, I guess like the rapid prototyping phase of Swift UI and you're kind of getting to the point where integration's not working. I, what I would do is print things out and it wouldn't work. So you'd have to run the app and get to the right view or whatever. So being able to uh, actually see printed uh, whatever you're printing while the Swift UI, Swift UI preview is running, I think is absolutely huge. Um, so yeah, I'm stoked about that one. I think that's a great addition and was sorely needed. Yeah, uh, that's definitely when you have like so little at your fingertips to help debug why something is not like working exactly why like the way you want it, and you need to like actually just get a number to measure 
or to like see what's coming in. Yeah. Um, and to quickly verify, right? That's that's all you need. Yeah. Um, this is the perfect tool for that job. And you get a waste paper in the process. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that kind of printing. Um, but this is limited to SwiftUI's print, uh, or Swift's print, uh, function. Swift's print, yeah. Yeah, it's not, not all logging. Um, so that, that might actually mean this is the only useful console, uh, that you have in Xcode that is not filled <laughs> yeah. to the brim with, uh, all sorts of junk from the frameworks. <laughs> I don't know. Rich. Or maybe all the frameworks are also printing all sorts of junk. Um, who knows? We will find out once this comes out of beta because... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be fun. Um, one that I'm super excited about is uh, the results builders have been completely rewritten to match uh, the same uh, constraints that the rest of the language has. So instead of having two mm-hmm. weird modes, you have Swift and then you have result builders. Now you just have Swift. Um, whether you use them in result in result builders or not, you're gonna get the same functionality and the same inference of types. Uh, which means that you're no longer going to run into, oh, you're making this nice Swift UI thing, and then uh, you made one mistake, and therefore it no longer compiles in <laughs> constant time. Um, and it's not really yeah. telling you why, because it has nothing to do with what you just typed. You just typed something incompatible with something else. Um, or your cat walked on the keyboard, and you have no idea what's what's uh, now different between previous and before. Um, and yeah, there's a whole new diagnostics uh, for this. Um I, I kind of laughed a little because one of the examples did not make sense to me. Um, it was like, <laughs> here's the brand new diagnostics. Looks how much more sense this makes. And I was like, I still don't understand what it's trying to tell me. Um, <laughs> but it's more correct. Um, and that's the important thing here. Yeah. Um, and that's what we need to recognize. Yeah. It's gotten better. But like I remember at the start of Swift UI, it was like, you had no idea why it was wrong. It would just give you this huge error with all of the um, generics just like nested inside of each other. It was just this massive error message and it's gotten better, but this is like definitely a huge step in, in actually letting you know why, why something is wrong. Um, There's a couple other cool things like type checking. Uh, They have an example of uh, using table and the type checking was dropped from four seconds to 0.6 seconds so pretty big improvements there uh so performance gains and just as far as you writing the swift code is probably going to be uh, a fair amount uh better so yeah because that uh, means everything's faster right exactly this also has me thinking i'm hoping that it like for type checking for things um will also work uh well with uh vapor because we all it also uses sort of similar things with like um uh like key paths and stuff so i'm hoping that this will also improve like key path um type checking and stuff uh, with vapor oh yeah well. maybe so yeah and anything that sure. uses something like swift ui so regex or leaf in vapor mm-hmm. um or um I forget what the the, the WebAssembly uh, thing is, um, um, but any of those will benefit from this. It's not specific to SwiftUI. It's just Apple is learning with SwiftUI, like where the <laughs> yes, yes. where the creaky edges are um, of their boat, um, and they're fixing them rather spectacularly by replacing it with like a brand new boat. Um, so hopefully they don't need That's to great. replace it with brand new boats all the time, um, and we <laughs> we have more incremental improvements from here but this is like 
uh, one hell of an improvement that I'm definitely looking forward to messing around with. Yep, for sure. Um, and there was one last surprise that came along with Xcode 14.3, and that is a mystery compute module. Hmm. What could it mean? Yeah. I don't know. I actually somehow missed this article. I think I thought I read through everything, but it looks like I missed this one. So I have no idea. The first thing that comes to mind is there. I don't know if this is it. And again, I haven't read the article, but um, there is a, they, you know, like Raspberry Pis, right? They have like the normal form factor and then they have something called a Raspberry Pi compute module, which is sort of like a more sort of embedded system. So I think, cool if it, it, you know, I think we've talked about this, like, it, it's probably been well over a year ago now, but, like, Apple introducing some sort of low uh, power. Uh, like, Apple TV sized, right? That would be a perfect yeah. little Yeah, but little you can gizmo. run Swift on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Swift so, UI. Yeah. yeah. So, enlighten us. What What is it actually? Oh, we have no idea. Um, <laughs> this, oh, cool. this is this is kind of like what we're what we're debating right now is uh, is it some sort of Raspberry Pi like device? Um, is it just like an Apple TV that actually? I guess you could totally use Apple TVs as little tiny compute you boards. Totally um, could. They oh, have yeah. they they, they have, have like uh, A series chips mm-hmm. and HDMI yeah. coming out of them. Do they have USB? I don't think they have USB no. anymore. Yeah, they got rid of the USB. Uh, there might still be USB hidden inside of the Ethernet connector. Um, I think one generation of uh, <laughs> of uh, Apple TV did have pins that were hidden inside I of the Ethernet that. Uh, connector for USB. Um, but yeah, uh, it can be that, or it might be something like a Mac Pro, where uh, you have the base Mac Pro with the M2 Ultra, um, is where the rumors are currently leading. Um, and then you have a card with a bunch of compute modules attached to it. Um, oh, apparently, they okay. run iOS, um, which is interesting. And there are two versions. There's Compute Module 13.1 and Compute Module 13.0. Maybe these are new MacBook Airs, the 13-inch .1 and the 13-inch .3. I don't know. Um, maybe they are the little puck that you need to use with the fancy uh, VR goggles. Um like there's all sorts of different different kind of um, thoughts as far as what these could be. Um, we really don't know. All we know is that they were included in Xcode, um, and we know they have a name. Gotcha. Yeah, the idea of like having like a um, like a PCIe card with like a CPU on it, like that brings back like old computer days when like you would just slot in the the CPU and stuff like that's kind of cool. Uh, the thing I'm thinking of is know. virtual PC uh, on your Mac. You can get an Intel Ooh. card <laughs> that you would put in that you can run windows off of like in cool. a window on your Mac because it's a, it's a completely separate computer in your computer. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's going to ever make a comeback um, as ridiculous no, as that not. was. Uh, virtual PC. Good stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Well, um, what do we have until dubbed up? A few months, I guess. So maybe they'll announce it then. I'm not sure. Right around the corner. I just love that people will dig into, you know, new versions of Xcode or new versions of macOS and just, you know, see and speculate what's coming up. So it's kind of cool. You can never obfuscate too much, I think. You're always going to miss something or 
you know, maybe this is on purpose that they included this so we can all speculate and drive up uh, speculation. So one more thing that's right around the block um, is changes that are coming to WebKit. Um, so two important changes, I would say. Uh, the first is uh, push notifications are finally a thing for progressive web apps. Um, and this is something that I think was like one of the last pieces that prevented people from just saying, forget the native app. We're just going to write a web app. Um, but you sure. couldn't like send notifications out of it. Uh, and therefore they're like, okay, we'll write a native app that houses a web app so that we can have <laughs> yeah, yeah. notifications. <laughs> um, so I think this is one of those final pieces. Um, and we're getting it. Yeah. It's also got like focus support and badging, so that's cool too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how I feel about you know progressive web apps. I guess it makes sense for some people. I just I'm an app developer, man. I just want apps. <laughs> well, they're probably a lot better nowadays. Um, yeah. And one more thing that is coming um, that is probably suspect. Uh, if you don't know why Apple's probably making all these changes now. Uh, is that if you are a third-party browser, you can now add right. progressive web apps to the home screen. Um, they won't be running in your third-party browser. They will be running under like the the, the system uh, like built uh, WebKit. But this kind of seems like a great way to say like, hey, we totally can and allow uh, you to download apps from anywhere. Just look at this great solution uh, that you can just go to this <laughs> website and say, like, add to my home screen. And then you have the app. Um, like, that the seems in- like... The internet is the app store. I know. And, and, like, all along you could have done this. It was a sweet... What, what did Steve Jobs call it? A sweet solution um, to, to no, like, no. apps not being available on the original iPhone. Um, so yeah, that, that comes full circle now you can now download any app you want. Um, in fact, you can put any website you want. Um, so it's just limited Whoa. by those web developers imagination. Um, and there's totally nothing that is part of native SDKness that, uh, would prevent them from building a good quality no. app. Though that said, everything is like so fast nowadays that probably that is more or less the case. Um, minus the, the creepy uh APIs like uh Bluetooth and all that. Um but yeah. Yeah. That's that's now a thing and that's probably very strategically landing now rather than ten years ago. Uh so that way Apple can go and like make an argument that they've had this all along and government should yeah. just leave them alone. And I don't know how much it's gonna work because this sounds like a very technical solution uh in uh in the parlance of of uh of uh senators and stuff like that so maybe you just have to show them and they're then they're convinced uh maybe you have to make a few apps so that way they can be convinced that oh yes this is a real app that we're adding um yeah so we'll see how much apple's gonna need to fight this battle uh but yeah um as far as ios 16.4 we've got new emoji which is cool so Um, many new emoji there's some pretty good ones. I like the shaking face. Um, got like the hand, like what do they call it? Pushing hand. Kind of like stop. In uh, both directions. We finally yes. got a moose. 
Yeah, a moose, a donkey. A the crow? goose. The goose. Jellyfish. Uh, and some maracas, huh? Huh? Yeah. Yahaha. Yahaha. Uh, there's some culinary. Uh, I, I was gonna say sweets, but ginger is not sweet. Um, but yeah, you can get. You can finally tweet some ginger. Um, you can toot some uh, edamame, uh, and you can um, fan yourself uh, and play the flute. Um, yeah. But yeah, we finally have an emoji for Wi-Fi, which is cool. Yeah, um, that's cool. It's surprising we didn't have one up until now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think that's about it, right? Yeah. Oh, there's a donkey too. Yeah. And a flower. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's the real reason everyone updates their phones anyways. So um, it's good that this is coming late in iOS 16's life to get everyone to get onto the the latest version of that. Um, and allow us as app developers to use all the fixes that came to like SwiftUI in the process um, that haven't been yeah. back deployed in that process. So um, that's always fun. Uh, there is another, and this is, mind you, my favorite feature because it includes the words 5G. Uh, there's 5G Ooh. standalone. Um, and this is actually something I'm very afraid of. Uh, and I will explain to you uh, why. Uh, when the tech came to my house like two years ago to install like cable uh internet he was saying that well soon we're not even going to be going to people's houses anymore uh to connect you up to internet because we can just put a 5g uh station in your house and you'll just get it wirelessly um and that terrifies me because that means that infrastructure will never improve to the point where you can get reliable internet and you will be stuck with wireless um in your home, which does yeah. not sound like a great plan uh, when Wired is currently like everywhere. Uh, but it is coming. I know it. Uh, and this is a sad thing. That is all. That is sad. Yeah. No, I seems sort of counterintuitive. Like you can never, I don't know, maybe not never, but like you would never be able to get like as good latency as low latency, you know, from wireless as you would from wired and everything. So that's, that's interesting. But um, yeah, so there's this uh, 5G standalone, which you can get up to three gigabit per second, which is that's crazy. Pretty cool. That's only download. Yeah, though. That's way cool. Yeah. Yeah. But like, what are you going to need to upload it? Well, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about like 5G, right? So like this is cellular. You don't have it on your Mac. What are you going to upload from your phone that needs three three gigabits upload? <laughs> you're, you're the uh, iCloud video you just shot that you want to get on your computer <laughs> without the airdropping 4K it. 4K ProRes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair. All right, all right. <laughs> The, the, that's, right, the real, that's, that's the real that's that's the real direction that we're going we're not gonna have fast wi-fi we're not gonna have fast USB-C. we're gonna have fast 5g to go into some cloud somewhere so that we can download it slowly to your computer Perfect. afterwards <laughs> i feel like we're regressing somehow just maybe just a little 5g bit. 5g 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 the best but, yeah yeah it's interesting how they do it though so it's like aggregating uh, multiple bandwidths so they've got like 100 megahertz 90 megahertz and 25 megahertz and it sort of shows the individual speeds of like 
1500 megabits, um, 1300 megabits, and 198 megabits, and aggregates them all together, and you get your your over three gigabit per second. So, kind of an interesting idea. It looks like T-Mobile's the only carrier that supports it, and right now it said something like Samsung devices are the only ones, oh, the only phones that support it. But this would uh, bring it to iPhone as well. So it's kind of cool. I'm I'm not on T-Mobile, yeah. so. I'm not either. I, I have I have the crappiest one, AT and T, which has like no 5G. It has the 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 oh. the fakest 5G out of all the 5Gs, um, because the 5G they they were edge. like, we're getting it first, 5GE. <laughs> this is like the worst one. Um, Such a scam, dude! Like not even actually 5G. I I don't know what I think about AT and T nowadays, but uh they promised me one day they will have fiber in my neighborhood and that's the only hope i'm holding on to um but yeah 5g uh if you've ever wanted 5g now you can get 5g um yeah i don't remember what i want to say oh uh wi-fi actually works very similarly uh to what you were specifying before where like fast wi-fi now is using multiple channels at once um to kind of like accumulate that bandwidth um and the latest wi-fi 6e uh 5g um 5g wi-fi 5ge (laughs) wi-fi 5ge that's what we uh need in our lives um but that uses uh a channel width of 160 megahertz um and that's why you can get like up to uh roughly up to 2.8 gigabits um with mm-hmm. with the optimal like settings and number of antennas and stuff and i can corroborate like i've totally gotten a thousand six hundred megabits per second uh which is absolutely bananas on on wireless right both yeah. upload and download excuse me uh, faster both... than i mean that's that's faster than gigabit on like Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I have gigabit fiber, but that's way. Fa- I mean, obviously it's faster, but that's just nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wi-Fi seven is doubling that to three hundred twenty um, uh, megahertz windows, uh, which is essentially going to double it again. Though I think they're doing other things too. That's going to like push it to like forty gigabits per second or something insane. Um, so Dang. we're not there yet. Um, it's going to be a few years. Before Thunderbolt we have over Wi-Fi. 7. Wi-Fi? I know it's going to be just flaky. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> so the my my uh, poor twenty five gigabit network won't be able to support it. <laughs> oh, poor boy, with your twenty five gigabit. So uh, it will be the limiting factor. Um, yeah, but yeah, wireless is getting fast, and I hope Wired gets fast as well, so that way you can keep up with that. Um, otherwise, like you have nothing to backhaul your wireless infrastructure on. Um, one last thing that's coming to iOS 16.4 is betas are now tied to Apple IDs. And I've seen a lot of mixed reactions to this. Um, I think for myself where I use like my one Apple ID with everything, um, this is very convenient because then it just means that I will just see betas and I won't need to download profiles anymore. And when, dub dub comes around and i want that beta right now i can just go to the settings and get it and i think that's pretty cool yeah yep i i think it's cool as well i also just basically use one um apple id for everything so not a big issue with me one thing i did think about and it's 
probably a pretty edge case is <clears throat> like non-developers that use developer betas. I wonder if that's kind of the reason they're doing this so that mm -hmm. you have to have a developer account. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, you it, it, said, it mentions you can still get the public beta, but if you want to get specifically the developer beta, you have to have a developer account. So I don't know if that means a paid developer account or... Uh, you know, if you can just sign up as a developer, not pay the hundred dollars and still get the beta, I don't know. So, mm -hmm. and for anyone worried that you do use a separate Apple ID, um, I think it still stands that you can sign into both on your device. Um, and this is useful for other reasons like two factor. Um, like you might not know this, but you can sign into multiple Apple IDs on your device and that will enable two factor on all of those Apple IDs. So then you can go ahead and use that device as a two factor um, like code generator. Um, and I think that will probably also enable that beta, uh, thing. So you can sign in with your personal Apple ID as your primary one. Uh, and then you can go to add account and add a second Apple ID that is not signed into email and all that. Um, but it will be able to give you two factor codes and it will be able to give you a little beta, um, call out. Um, so I think that will probably be the likely solution if you don't like have that set up. Um, otherwise, you can always invite your personal Apple ID uh, to whatever work org um, apps or connect account you have. Um, and that's like always a great way of just uh, getting in on those uh, sweet, sweet developer betas. Um, yeah. Though lately I have not put a single developer beta on any of my devices. So I don't know uh, how uh, like the what the reasons are of wanting to do that if you are not a developer i would say the public betas are probably a little safer um because oh boy there have yeah. been some some uh hot messes uh in terms of yeah, developer betas just, that have been released yeah i think people just want you know the the new features uh faster but yeah on the other side of the pond, uh, Windows can now be virtualized on Apple Silicon. It's officially sanctioned to uh, go ahead and do that um, so far via Parallels. Um, but yep. yeah, it's it's now official. You can get a license for Windows that you can virtualize. Yep. On I tried it. I have Parallels. Um, I have Parallels, and unfortunately, I haven't used it in years, and it keeps renewing without me forgetting to stop... Uh, the subscription so so congratulations you have modern parallels you can tell us how it works. yes <laughs> yes i tried it the other day uh it was okay um not all apps were running i mean it's windows on arm right so like not everything mm -hmm. is compatible you're not emulating x86 it's like straight up windows on arm um what you can do is you can choose like the amount of cores and everything just like you could with with old parallels and stuff so i ran cinebench on it um with eight cores not great 2600 points and the mac uh the m1 max gets like well over 10,000. i can't quite remember so it's not super fast but uh you know i guess if you need some windows app uh to run and you don't have a windows computer i mean it's it's viable ish i don't again like windows on arm support seems not great i know that microsoft's been pushing for it. i think they made like a surface uh, that like the the same generation of a Surface device that like ran an x86 chip and an ARM chip and just like the ARM chip was just so bad. So I mean, Apple's way ahead as far as ARM performance goes. So um, 
I don't know where this is going to lead. If uh, I mean, I guess it does say something about Windows uh, and Microsoft trying to push ARM if they're opening this up, which I didn't think they would. It's, I mean, we've had M1 devices for almost three years now, um, and this is the first time it's sort of been like um, condoned by uh, Microsoft to be able to virtualize Windows on it. So I think some people have done it in the past, but um, performance isn't great. I mean, it's it's no like Rosetta 2, right? Where like you can emulate x86 on an M1 like totally fine and you bas- basically don't notice a difference after it's launched. Like it's significantly slower, but it runs okay. So... Interesting. I, I wasn't expecting it to be to be significantly slower like that. Um, so I wonder if there is some more tweaking that Parallels needs to do. Yeah, there's got to be. I yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I could mess with it a, a little bit more. Oh, so I tried to. I think one of the apps that I tried to run was Geekbench because like that's kind of a more general, uh, or I guess more broad um, benchmark, and I don't think it ran, and that's why I ended up running into Cinebench. Um, I could try it again, but yeah. Interesting. Um, Also interesting is uh, Tile, which is the competitor to Apple's uh, AirTags, um, has released a new anti-theft mode, um, and this allows you to use Tiles where you cannot use AirTags uh, as a way of tracking your belongings so that way you can find them if they've been uh, stolen. Uh, now, you cannot use AirTags for this because if you use an AirTag for that, uh, you can also use it to stalk people, and that is not great. Um, uh, though I think there was like EFF, or there was one foundation that went and used them uh, to track if some company actually went and recycled uh, shoes into like uh, <laughs> play, like. Uh, reusing the rubber inside of jungle gyms and stuff like that and it turns out they ended up in a singaporean uh, flea market as shoes um so they were not Mm. recycled at all um and uh that company got their got their uh whistles blown uh but uh tile is aiming to do this with a very interesting uh solution you have to sign in you have to give them information and you have to agree that you are liable to a million dollar fine if you are caught using these to stock people um yeah yeah i don't know who you're paying that million dollars to uh because this is not like a government fine this is a private fine so does that mean tile gets richer for everyone who stocks with a tile product which is a little weird um yeah but yeah you don't just you don't just have to register you have to register your government id with them like with your account you totally cannot find those on google no Absolutely not. But I mean, assume like I think their measures for um, counteracting abuse are sort of honorable and somewhat well placed. Like I, I think it would be a way harder to abuse this. Um, my sister has an AirTag in her car, and I borrowed her car before because it's like it's just cheap. It helps the car is, more. is tracking you. <laughs> it's like very like within an hour it's like hey this thing has tracked you with you know over 10 miles or whatever it's not like over a a long period of wait that it says hey this has been tracking you it's like you've been placed in like 10 different locations in the last hour 
do you know something's tracking you? And I was like, wow, okay, I didn't realize it would be that fast. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's that. And I think their whole thing with this is so that, yeah, I mean, Dimitri mentioned it. It's just that if it's not announcing it's the tile's presence, then they're not going to look for it. So you could hide this in some pretty, inc- you know, inconspicuous place and be able to find your blogging. So an interesting way of going about it. And I think it's um, a pretty, pretty smart way, uh, but yeah, definitely not bulletproof per se. Yeah. Um, and don't forget that tile relies on people having the tile app and using it uh, to track other tiles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Which uh, it puts them at a severe disadvantage to Apple where uh, any iOS device will just go ahead and like participate in the network. Um, so, Apple uh, Tile is probably fighting to remain relevant here um, because as soon as they aren't, then they lose uh, that network that they've slowly built up very carefully over years. Um, And if people just kind of move away from that, uh, then there's no coming back for them, I don't think. Uh, So that's that's one thing that Tile needs to be careful of. Um, That said, Tile could technically participate in Apple's network. Right, the the protocols are mm-hmm. open enough for that um, to exist, but uh, it would also participate in in the 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 non anti theft mode because um, it's the iOS device that's telling you it's being tracked. It's not the AirTag, um, right? So that that's something to consider. Uh, Apple has also released uh, two new patents, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, the first one no. is uh, that there is a hypothetical watch band that can change colors. Um, and this seems super cool. It kind of matches the kind of three band, three color uh, band design that Apple currently has in some materials. I don't know what material this would be. Maybe it's the kind of silicon, uh, silicone kind of material yeah. that uh, the rubber um that will just go ahead and like change color uh via some electrical means um but yeah i think that would be really cool to see in person uh, apparently they have a prototype internally um so we'll just have That's to cool. see if they care about it enough to make a real product out of it right yeah it's um the kind of i think it's like yeah like some electro i think electrochromic um, is what they call it and like it's the same thing that you know they use for glass to make it go from like normal to frosted and stuff so oh interesting that's basically yeah. an lcd yeah but my my other thought was like what if they did this with um uh like e-ink because ink is you can have have it in multiple colors i don't know if it would like be super bright or whatever but I think it'd be really cool to like have an e-ink display with some flexible PCB or whatever on your wrist. That'd be cool. Ooh. I don't know. Probably yep. perhaps not. I don't know what would be easier. I'm assuming this electrochromic thing, if that's what they're going for. But um, yeah, kind of a cool idea. doesn't seem like you can do, it's not like a display, right? Like it seems mm-hmm. like it's fairly limited to these three zones, like Dimitri said, but um, would be interesting and also very likely very expensive. Yep, we'll definitely need a new version of the Apple Watch um, because you'll need some way of, like, giving power to the band, which you never needed to do (laughs) up until now. Um, And maybe it only needs it when it's changing, right? It doesn't need it all the time to, like, persist the color. It just needs it to change the color. 
Um, so that's something to consider. Um, but maybe it's just a band that changes color with the warmth of your wrist. Um, all along it was those, uh, <laughs> the those, uh, mood ring, <laughs> mood ring bands, <laughs> a mood band. Oh, that's um, awesome. That's a throwback. Um, but they do have a second patent and this one's also kind of cool. Um, iMessages can be read in your voice. So if I were to send, um, Spencer a heartfelt iMessage, uh, that says, <laughs> where are you? I'm waiting in the Riverside thing. Uh, it will go ahead and read it out in my voice to be extra obnoxious. Um, depending on who is sending what it can be seen as wonderful or weird. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. I I know that um I I think it was Amazon or maybe it was Sam I think it was Samsung um announced something similar to this from like a few seconds of your voice it can uh, simulate it pretty well and stuff. So I'm sure that's you know multiple I've heard of multiple people not just Samsung doing something like this with voice simulation. Um and we've I think maybe we've talked about it on the show. I don't know. Um I I think it's more of a gimmick than anything. It's like the, um, maybe I'm going to upset Dimitri from this. I don't use them personally. The, um, the way, the different ways of sending like the part, you know, confetti announcements or the, the, uh, set with messages or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay. It's cool to announce that. Like when you're announcing your new version of iOS or your new phone, but I don't, I mean, my phone is on silent 100% of the time. I'd never have any reason to, uh, you know, have a text message uh, ring or my phone ring. I just have it on silent and it's in my pocket, so whatever. Um, I would never, like, have my messages read out to me. I mean, I'm almost always alone, but still, it's like, ah, I don't know if I like this. So, I don't know. Does It, it seems like a gimmick and or it's not for me. It, it feels very much in the in the category of features uh, that App, Apple kind of already kind of dabbled in this. Uh, for instance, in FaceTime, there's an option, there's a checkbox you can go ahead and flick that will move the other person's eyes to look at the camera. Oh, yeah. Ever so right. slightly. Um, and it was done with like the best intentions. It makes things look more uh, like intentional, right? Uh, but because people found out about it in the betas and then like raise hell, uh, then we don't have that kind of feature. Um, so this kind of feels in that same camp. I think this would probably be better using that existing iMessage, uh, feature where you can go ahead and record a voice memo instead of typing it. Um, and then have that be transcribed. I think that would be a whole lot more useful yeah, 100%, uh, because then yeah. you can use the person's original voice. You don't need to fake anything. Um, and you just need to kind of like put words there so that way they don't need to listen to it um, on the other end, because that's a key piece. Uh, if you don't need to listen to it, then you can choose if you can't read the transcription to listen um, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and iMessage is like a whole ton better than voicemails. Uh, so if voicemails can pull it off, I think iMessage should be able to to do <laughs> yeah, a much better exactly. job, especially if it's done in like the source <laughs> device and everything. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would say that would be the better direction to go rather than the opposite. Um, and last on our list, apparently Apple had a gaming event. Um, I totally missed this. Um, yeah, me too. 
but it happened and apple showed off games i like nine to five max uh sort of sub headline it's apples dot 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 first event of the year (laughs) like what (laughs) uh (laughs) i think everyone is just kind of like okay uh so uh it was i prefer them here to wwdc to be 100 percent clear um game demos don't no more in big events please (laughs) yes agree they're very cringeworthy there it's just like no one wants to see them um so uh it seems like some people were invited to the small event they played some games and like i don't really know what the point of this is other than to say like we're gamers too in apple land and that's it you know what i mean it's i mean like, technically okay, they cool. make they probably make more money than any other gaming subcategory okay um <laughs> yes agreed so they're but, the biggest um, gamers i mean they i don't know how much of that is off of like gotcha games as opposed to like it's all apple gotcha arcade. games like i think apple arcade does okay but i'm sure the gotcha games are like 90 plus percent of all revenue so mm-hmm I don't know what to think about this. It's something. Yeah, it exists. I, I, look, man, I wish I could play all my games on my Mac, but no, I have to have a Windows computer too and suffer through Windows because I like gaming, but Apple now Mac, you, Now you yeah. can game slowly on a, on Parallels. I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> game Oh my gosh, that would be so bad. I bet it wouldn't even work. Well, now you have something to try. <laughs> yeah. Not that Look, those man, games are compiled just, like, for ARM Windows. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say, if they would like let Rosetta 2 run on Windows, maybe. Okay. But, yeah. So, I don't know what to think about this. It's, it's uh, okay. It's a thing. It's a thing. This week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by Explain It Slowly. Have you ever wondered how anime is made, or how old TVs work, or even why you start picking up other people's accents just by hanging out with them? Welcome to Explain It Slowly, a podcast where Lynn and I explore any and every topic, from technology to food, twice a week. We've covered everything from SSDs to food comas, and can't wait to share what we love, what we've learned next with all of you. So open up your favorite podcast app and search for Explain It Slowly to learn something new with us every week. We want to thank Explain It Slowly for sponsoring our show. Search for Explain It Slowly on your favorite podcast app or visit https colon slash slash explainitslowly.show to learn more. So Spencer, I've got a code completion tip for you. Um, And this time it's all about the editor in Xcode. So um, have you ever held down the option key while just clicking and dragging on code? I have, yes. Haven't you noticed how amazing that suddenly gives you the superpower to make rectangle selections? Yes, it's great. Yep. Uh, I never use it for the rectangle <laughs> selections. I always just like nope, drag s- straight down and make a whole, nice long column of, uh, of uh, insertion pointers. And then you can go ahead and edit multiple lines at once. And that part is super cool. Yes. Um, so good. You can go ahead and do this in a variety of different ways. Um, the classical way is the option key that has like been around since forever um, in Xcode. Uh, but you can also use Control-Shift to just click anywhere um, and unclick uh, if you want to get rid of them. Uh, but to just add a whole bunch of different insertion uh, pointers. And then as you type, it'll just kind of like type in all of them all at once. 
Um, and that is like the coolest thing in the world. Um, you can move those insertion pointers by like using your arrow keys and then using option to jump by word, uh, using shift right. to select stuff. Uh, you can copy that. You can go somewhere else. You can make a whole bunch of new ones. You can paste over something. It is like the superpower of superpowers, um, that is only available to, uh, users of both mice and keyboards. Um, I don't know if you can use it only keyboard, like all those Vim people that do things like entirely oh. on the keyboard. Um, I don't know if you Maybe. also have that superpower. You probably do because Vim is Vim. Uh, but it's probably like something you need to go and get a master's degree to fully comprehend how to perform. <laughs> yes, um, agreed. Like I needed a college diploma to know how to get out of Vim. So I don't want to know what's needed to be a, a fully proficient Vim user. Um, but um, yeah, uh, this is a thing that you can do with your mouse and keyboard combined. And I think it is really, really cool. And any other app that exists that does not support this is just like totally broken to me um especially when you need to edit a whole bunch of things um i'm surprised the the podcast uh cdn that we use fireside uh dot fm actually supports this and oh sorry never mind yeah you're right yeah the other one uh where you can like edit the show notes um that one actually supports editing multiple lines in their little editor and like I am so glad they added that because I use it every week to like reformat our our show notes into like markdown links and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, definitely give that a try. It is a super yeah. good code completion tip. Yep, that's like my my classic usage of that is like, oh crap, I need to mark a bunch of properties as private, and I'll just uh-huh. like and just like instead of going private, uh, copy that uh, up arrow, paste, 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 you know. Uh, just typing it once is like so nice. Um, there, uh, man, I, I used to, there were a couple times when I, I had to do like use that, but also with multiple selection, I think there's some weird, like, uh, Eldritch combo of control alt and shift where you can like, you like be selecting multiple things at once and keep that selection running at the same time, even though they're not next to each other and like cut those out and stuff. It's been a while since I tried that, but yeah, it's, um, being able to select or, or have multiple cursors is like huge. It's that's a great one. Definitely yeah. like one for like saving yourself from like RSI and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. On, on the weird combos, uh, the claw, I like to call it the as claws. you like configure yes. your hand, uh, the various different claws, uh, option will jump by word. Command will jump to the beginning or end of the line. Uh, shift right. always selects. Um, and then there was a really cool one that you can configure your locale to, um, like on the computer. Um, and then you can go ahead and select within the camel case, like the individual words. And oh, I don't remember okay, for the life awesome. of me how to do that one. Um, I like I configured it on that. one computer and then like I never figured it out again. So, uh, if anyone I does know do that, that, you need a toot at us, uh, at code completion, yes. uh, to reteach us how to do that because that is something that is like such a lifesaver when you need it. Um, because yeah, our code is littered with camel case. Camel case. Um, we should be able yep. to, to do that. Um, yep. Options, options great. And that gets you a lot of the way there, but sometimes you want to pull out a word from, you know, the dot, whatever. And yeah, you have to arrow key it over and stuff. So that's, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. Another great one in Xcode is control E. Um, so if you just like click on a variable control E, it will give you selection uh, insertion pointers in every instance of that variable. 
um, like within the current scope. Oh, nice. So that allows you to quickly oh. rename um, a variable or a method, uh, not across the whole project, just within the file, but it yeah. does scope it to where you currently are. So if you have the same variable used a few different places, it doesn't kind of, it doesn't mess with you too much. Um, and that one I like memorized very early on as well. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on mastodon.social at code completion to know when new episodes go live and feel free to toot at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any pro- or the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-I-T-I-S, uh, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, man, reading the the any block of text is so hard right now because my nose is, like, totally out of commission. And yeah. it's just like, I don't have the breath, <laughs> to, the stamina necessary to get through the sentence. I'm like, ah. Man, don't let anyone tell you that podcasting isn't hard, man. Oh, especially when you're sick. This is like, being yeah. sick sucks. It's been like a hot sucks. few years. Um, and I don't know what I caught that is miraculously not COVID, but it's like just so difficult to like live. I like I forgot yeah. what it's like to be sick, or maybe I'm just old now. That's um, and falling. No, that's apart. what happens. Like you, you, you never appreciate how good it feels to like not be sick, and then you're like, "What is my body doing to me? <laughs> this is awful." Yeah. Uh, at least I didn't cough too much throughout this episode. That's that's what. No, I'm yeah, it was about. good. I, I was so close to telling you, like, hey, Spencer, do you want to do tomorrow? <laughs> we could have. We definitely could have. Yeah, but th- I'm not going to be any better tomorrow. Like, I'm just... That's yeah, just you will. That's how it works. <laughs> that's just perpetually pushing and kicking the can down the road. Yeah, you're not, like, terminally ill. You'll get better <laughs> at some time. <coughs> well, there it is. <laughs> maybe, maybe you are. Oh, no, please. I'm not terminally ill. I, I have a code to write. Um, That's can't, right. You can't get rid of me now. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.